Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today, I have a special treat for you guys. At our annual Peak Experience event, In Carlsbad, California, we bring the very best of content and guests together for three days of very intense next-level training. It's been a great event. It's been sold out a year in advance for the past five years, so it's obviously been well-received. This year, one of our guests was author and psychologist Dr. Daniel Goldman, and he joined us for a very, very powerful session, followed by a tremendous Q&A session. And the Q&A session is what you're going to get to hear today. Now, Daniel has reported on the brain and behavioral sciences for the New York Times for many years. His 1995 book, Emotional Intelligence, was on the New York Times bestseller list for a year and a half. Sold more than 5 million copies in 40 languages and was named by Time magazine as one of the 25 most influential business management books of all time. Now, Daniel has written many other books on subjects such as self-deception, creativity, transparency, meditation, social and emotional learning. Very, very accomplished man. He's done many things. He has uh, organized a series of intensive conversations between the Dalai Lama and scientists, which uh, resulted in the books Healthy Emotions and Destructive Emotions. Uh, His recent appearance on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday was one of the most watched shows in that program's history. So today we're going to take a listen to a QA and a I did with a wonderful man with a great heart, with a great mind, And you talk about mindset, motivation, and methodology. It's all encapsulated in the Q&A session I did with Daniel in front of our live audience at Peak Experience in Carlsbad this year. I hope you enjoy this. Give it up for Dr. Daniel Goleman. Here we go. Just beautiful having you here. So I'm tickled. They can listen in. I've been researching a lot of your stuff, and I love your books on leadership. You have a group of leaders in this room today, and I'd love to know your perspective on this. What makes a great leader? What makes a great leader? Well, all of my research says those 12 ingredients of emotional mm. intelligence. Yeah. I ran through those 12 strengths. But, you know, everybody does it differently. It's not like you have to be good at all 12. Everybody has their individual profile, mm. how they lead, what makes them outstanding. But I would say if I were going to pick out two from those 12, it would be self-awareness, which is the key to managing yourself, tuning into yourself, making good decisions, but sensing what's going on in your body, which is a... Uh, your immediate signal for what's happening in this relationship right now. And the second is empathy, Mm. particularly that third kind, that caring empathy, because leaders who make people feel cared about and who respect people and who see them as someone who can develop further and get better and who mentor them that way and help them along, make people feel not just good about themselves, good about their relationship. They, they feel secure. They feel a lot of trust. Uh, they feel that they can take smart risks. When you have a leader who makes people feel fear, what they do is they contract mm-hmm. and they just play it safe. Yeah. You don't want people like that. You want people who are going to solve problems on the spot mm-hmm. and who feel that they're empowered to do yeah. that. I've seen that in my own 
career. I'm a real intense Irish Italian, right? Nitroglycerin in the same body, you know, shaken, not stirred. And um, I thought that was funny. I'm glad you laughed. You know what I was thinking? My wife's Italian. Yeah. Like, oh, geez. And, but she's Italian Greek. And I oh, thought, oh, well, boy. that's nitroglycerin, too. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yes. But I'm a, such an intense person. And I'm extremely caring and giving to my staff. And they know I care about them. And I'm all mm -hmm. good. And mm -hmm. if I've ever made mistakes, I've been too much that way. Mm -hmm. Kept people too long. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. But when I'm very ramped up and very intense on projects or deadlines and this and that and the other, what I find is that people will stand back. And what I get is they'll check the box and give me what I asked for, mm -hmm. but never give me more than I've asked for. And so what I learned the yeah. hard way is that when people were feeling, I don't want to let them down, as opposed to how do we get this thing done, right. I cut off their creativity. You know, that's true, and I'll tell you why. There's a neurological reason, and it has to do with the fact that when you're goal-oriented, we got to make the numbers, we got to get the sale, we got to do this project, whatever it is. Yeah. When you get very hard driving like that, and this is rampant in leadership today, yeah. this style, it's the pace setter. Do it like I do. Mm. What that does in the brain is it turns on a circuitry which is goal-focused, which is good, but it turns off circuitry which is creative. Mm. And it also turns off relationship circuitry. Really interesting, dynamic. So the better strategy I'd recommend is to articulate really clear goals. That's something else this kind of mm -hmm. caring leader can do. Right. Say, we've got to do this, we've got to get there. But remember, the second part is to let people get there their own way, mm -hmm. to let people feel empowered. Mm -hmm. uh, because the tendency is not only set the goal, but micromanage. Because right. you're so nervous about it. Yeah. I was talking to the CEO, actually, of a real estate company, now I think of it, national company. Mm -hmm. And he said, I used to really yell at people when they upset me because we weren't hitting our numbers. And then I realized it was my own fear of failure. Yeah. That mm. I was upset with myself mm. and taking it out on them, which is not the way to get there because you can only execute through people as mm. a leader. Yes, sir. So you have to maintain those relationships in a healthy way. And that's where the self-management comes in mm -hmm. because... You know, you may feel you're, you're like hard driving, we've got to get there, you're, you're boiling inside. But if you explode at people, you're sabotaging yourself. Sure. Sabotaging yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And even beyond the empathy is, as I've gone through that, because I rarely will I explode on anybody other than my brother. And, um, <laughs> and but. There's a long story uh, behind that one. Beautiful yeah. story, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> We, we don't brainstorm, we mind bash. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it works. But the, the dynamic is, again, you want to have the goal, you want to have the achievement. But at the end of the day, true empathy is understanding how other people are wired and bringing out the best in how they're wired and who they are. That's right. And then bringing it together in a collaborative exactly. effort. Exactly. Now, you're on the East Coast. You're obviously brought into many companies and corporations. I mean, Fortune Fives with executive teams, they've got to think you're nuts. Well, they do it first. That's yeah. why I go with the brain stuff. Right. And in fact, my Harvard Business Review articles, which, are, by the way, are in a book folks here might be interested in called What Makes a Leader. Oh, yes. I collected them all. I've read that. It's excellent. And there are styles of leadership that work and styles that don't. We yeah. saw that. And I think that if you get familiar with those and then you frankly think about how you lead, mm -hmm. 
you can fine tune. You, we can master better styles. That's yeah. the good news. Help know. me with this. Have you come across a situation where you're brought in to work with some leader and you were able to affect and create cause and effect where they embraced more emotional intelligence and actually got to see well, improvement and you things know, like that? Brian, I don't actually work one-on-one. I don't okay. coach. I'm, I'm more like a trim tab. And a lot of people in this room are a trim tab. Let me tell you what that means. The trim tab is a small rudder on the bigger rudder of a very big ship. Mm. And the trim tab, by turning the trim tab, you turn that rudder, which turns the ship. Sure. So I go around and I talk to a lot of people. That's yeah. the trim tab. Yeah. And then they lead in, in whatever way they right. lead. And I get feedback that, that it's helped people, yeah. but I don't hear from other well, people. Well, let me encourage you. If I can give you some unsolicited advice. Please. Do not get in the coaching business. <laughs> Thank you for that, yeah. There isn't enough self-awareness <laughs> out there. <laughs> we talk about it, right? It's, uh, right? it's the theory and the practice. That's right. And that, here's the thing. I, I'm the theory, he's the practice. Right, and, and, but practice needs theory, and theory needs practice. Right. And, and you have to have both, right? In, in the spiritual world, you need, if you will, doctrine and application. Sure. You know, the principles and, and how to apply them, and powerful stuff. Quick one. What makes a bad leader? Now, you know, we can say the opposite, but what makes a bad leader? You can just recognize him instantly. Well, I think two things. A lack of empathy, mm. not caring, the I-it kind of leader, you know, command and control. And then the second is no self-awareness, no self-control. And I've seen this over and over mm. with leaders. I have a friend, he's in selection, and he's helped pick many, many CEOs for global companies. Mm. And his outfit did a study once of times they'd failed. Someone looked really good on paper, but then they were fired. And it was always for lack of emotional intelligence. They may have had a lot of business experience. It didn't matter. It's how you are with people that's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, let's talk through a little bit. Uh, you know, there's so uh-huh. many times you're, you're trying to interview somebody, you're trying to sure. fill a need. Okay. And it seems like we project ourselves. Sometimes we fill from the position of need. Sometimes uh, one of the mistakes I've made is I, I see potential in people. And sometimes I'll hire people based on their potential as opposed to their actual CV, actual, what they yeah, actually right. can get done. Right. If you were giving us a couple of ideas in regards to emotional intelligence, and we're going to interview somebody for a key position, you kind of touched on this, mm-hmm. what would be a couple of pieces of advice? Well, the first for? thing I'd say is be sure you have a trial period, which actually is a trial period. Mm. Mm. Because you're only going to know the chemistry yep. of that person with you yep. and with everyone else yep. and with your clients and everyone who you interface with. Yep. When they've been on the job for a couple of months. Right. So in 60 days, 90 days, review right. honestly. Yep. Be frank. Yep. And make the hard decision if you have right. to. Because that's the point where you know for sure yep. it, it this person works or doesn't work. And well, my brother Dharma has to. brought this into our organization. And we bring people in. And every single person who's hired at Buffini Company is brought in on a trial basis for 90 days. There you go. That's and it. Uh, we want to set a proper expectation. We don't want to make them nervous or uncomfortable. But it's kind of like, let's see. It's not whether you're a good person or not. It's whether you're a good fit. Does that make sense? People are gifted. Everybody's gifted to play a position somewhere in this world. Right. And it's just whether they're gifted and it's right and it's a good fit and it's a good time in their life to be with you. And so uh, I think that's great. And and the corollary of that, by the way, is don't think you can tell on an interview. Mm. Interviews don't give you the right information. Or resumes. A resume, even worse. (laughs) Yes. Forget about a resume. Yeah, right. Don't look. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's like a first date, isn't it? <laughs> totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Open the door. Here's the flowers. Yeah. 90 days later, what's wrong with your arm? Yeah, right. never, never use the word you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Amen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like to talk a little bit about listening. I'm a very rapid person. Like I said, double, triple espresso, chamomile tea, a little soy on the side. <laughs> Different personalities. Right. People would not know this about me, but probably the greatest skill I possess is listening. But I'll have conversations with people like this. Uh-huh. So I met with a lot of folks last night, and I'm talking to some folks I met 12 years ago who hadn't right. seen me one-on-one in 12 years, and I'm walking up, and I go, hey, do you remember when? And they're, like, staggered. Mm-hmm. Not because I have some kind of photographic memory or so on, but I listen very intently. You listen very intently. Totally different styles, totally different people. This whole dynamic of a wealth of information through technology mm-hmm. and a poverty of attention. Right. When our kids were young, we wanted them to know their value and importance. So when they would have a question, or they want to interrupt. So we're at a dinner party or they're at a church or we're at some social mm-hmm. setting, and our kids wanted a mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. We taught them to touch our arm or touch our leg. And when it was appropriate, oh. I'll break away from Dr. Right. Goldman and I'll give you my full attention. And when they were very young, we'd hold their face. Oh. And look in their eyes. And, and then they'd hold our face. <laughs> and we developed this in, which I think has led to very, very strong self-esteem with these young people. Sure. How do we hold people's face today, no matter what our personality, whether you're rapid, more moderate-paced, whether you're a researcher, or whether you're a fire-breathing dragon salesperson, whatever it is, listening and paying attention to people seems to be the quality that is being lost in our society because Kim Kardashian just broke the Internet. Because an update on whatever. That's why I actually emphasize that this is learned and learnable, Mm. and we can get better, and that we better get better Mm. about paying attention because of what, you know, Kim Kardashian phenomenon, Mm -hmm. all of the things that are impinging on our attention and pulling us away moment to moment. But there's another thing you mentioned, which I think is very significant, Brian, and that is that when you meet someone, you can say something that happened 10 years ago. you know why? Because you paid full attention. When you pay full attention, what you attend to registers in memory. Mm. When you don't, it doesn't. Mm. And so if you can bring up something spontaneously that gives the person the message, you really paid attention to me, Mm -hmm. that has a deep emotional impact on people. Right. So another thing you may have noticed last night as we were talking is... When I'm there, there's also technique to support. So I'm fully present, connecting. Bev and I are listening. We represent different ways of doing that. And then something comes up, and this gentleman's got something going on in his marriage. I'll say, give me your business card. And I take a business card, and I'll write, okay. And what I know, like a doctor prescribing something to follow up with, okay, great, I'm going to send him this. Okay, great, and this is a little book, and this and that. And so it's a little system, and I, I give that to you because it's a way to be totally caring and totally appreciative, and totally present, and totally in speed with the speed of today's world. So I have an assistant. So what happens is I'll be in the office, and there'll be this stack. And I will be able to remember the conversation I had, even though there was hundreds of conversations over almost six hours. Because I did the little piece. I forgot it out of mind. I'll see the card. I'll see my own note. It'll register with me. And I'll be able to deliver whoever I needed to deliver something very personal to to communicate the care that I truly feel. But that's a technique from an attitude of the heart. And so don't be afraid of technique clouding out your intention. Does that make sense? What would be, if you were to give me a technique 
What would be a good technique for listening and paying full attention to people? You're doing it right now, Brian. You don't need any technique at all. But it's those three things that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Put aside the internal distractions. Mm -hmm. Those are the thoughts that are irrelevant to what's going on. And so the meditation that you do and that breathing exercise you do actually prepares you for those moments. The mind is a muscle. Mm. And we don't work Mm. it out. Mm. Okay, so let me unpack what we did in Mm -hmm. terms of what you just asked. When you pay attention to your breath and your mind wanders off, you're doing what's normal. There was a study done at Harvard where they gave an iPhone with an app to random, you know, 1,000 people. The app rang them at random times in the day and asked two questions. What are you doing right now? And what are you thinking about? If those are the same thing, bingo, you're paying attention. If they're not, your mind is wandering. Mm. The mind wanders 50% of the time. Mm. 90% of the time when people are commuting in front of a video monitor or at work, I'm sorry to tell you, but... 90% on average at work, wanders the least at romantic moments. But Mm. then think, who answers an app at a time like that? I'm not even sure if I trust that. What man answers an app? (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Women can, they're thinking about closing the garage door. (laughs) (laughs) So one is those internal distractions. The other is the external distractions. And the third is just putting your attention and holding it because the wine is going to wander and you're going to have to bring it back. So every time you bring it back, it's like lifting a weight in the gym. Mm. You're, strengthening, you're actually strengthening the neural circuitry for that. Wow. So the more you do that innocent little watch your breath thing, it's just like going to the gym for your mind. Wow. And that helps you pay attention to the moment. Immense. There it's go. gorgeous. It's so simple and so deep and so profound. And it's free. Amen. <laughs> right? That is the truth, and there's such depth and simplicity. I just think about this, and I think about our world and where we're at. And, you know, again, I work with my kids all the time, but their natural state. We homeschool our kids. We homeschool oh, six kids. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I work with realtors and homeschool. I, how I am not a, just a functioning alcoholic, I have no idea. <laughs> and Irish, you know? <laughs> yeah, really. But, you know... We work at it all the time and so on and so forth. So they don't necessarily get a lot of external distractions per se. But like the norm is now, our kids have developed an ability, and what I call a disability, where they can watch a show on a DVD player. They have their phones playing something else, and they're working on the computer. And they've learned to create this functionality. And all their buddies are doing it. And they all know how to do it. Are they doing uh, their homework at the same time? The, uh, research. That's I mean, what they're doing on yeah, the computer. Yeah, and so once a year, I go to this basketball tournament for my mm-hmm. kids, and my kids' friends don't quite know what I do for a living, and so they call me Mr. B. And Mr. B drives the bus at the tournaments. We go to Missouri, and it's an hour up and an hour back, and uh-huh. most of these kids think I'm a bus driver, <laughs> and, um, which is a very bad one, uh, by the way. And so... Mr. B is, is doing these exercises with the kids. And I look back in the rearview mirror one time, and I have two sets of chairs here and two sets of chairs here. And I engage the kids, and I begin discussions and so on and so forth, and I'll play different things in the car. I'll play different music mm-hmm. in the car, and then I'll tell them what the meanings of the songs are. And we'll have these more animated discussions on the way to these tournaments. But you can only do that so many hours in the day. And then occasionally I'll, I'll look up, and they're on the phones like this. And then the guy across the aisle will look up and go. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're texting each other. This way. Yeah, right, 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 right. This way. And this, you know, we have a whole generation 
that's grown up in the midst of this. I have concerns. I have great hope in, in the next generation. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, you know, get off my lawn kind of right. guy. I think many of the millennials seem to be less materialistic. There seems to be more of a greater sense of balance. Mm -hmm. That's right. uh, they don't not looking for giant homes and you know they they want what, here's what I need here's my function. Right. They don't like debt. They seem to be involved in purpose and want to be innovate. And even though they're living with mom and they've never had a job, they expect to be millionaires by thirty. But that's another issue. <laughs> now, but I'm concerned about this process of emotional intelligence because the ability to hide out behind screens, mm -hmm. the ability to interact through sure. tech and losing the ability right. to do what we're doing, which is, mm -hmm. this is what was done in Ireland for hundreds of years, this is what was done in front porches in the South for hundreds of years, and the sense of community and the sense of connection, and the ability to converse and connect with another human being. How can we positively influence that next group? Yeah, this is why I'm, I'm a big advocate of what's called social-emotional learning, mm. which is emotional intelligence taught in school, mm. K through 12, mm. to every kid, because even if you're doing a great job with your kids, they're going through life with this whole cohort. Right. You want to be sure every other kid has it. Mm -hmm. So I co-founded this organization, Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, C-A-S-E-L, if you want to go to the website, C-A-S-E-L. And it's bringing exercises and self-awareness and self-management and empathy and relationships and good decision-making to kids across the country. Mm. But it's a very grassroots, and you know these decisions are made independently, uh, school board by yes. school board. But I feel very strongly that exactly for the reasons you mentioned, we need to get more methodical to be sure kids learn not just emotional intelligence skills, focusing skills. Mm -hmm. That exercise I saw in that school in Spanish Harlem, the Belly Buddies, uh, that's part of one of these, what's called SEL, social emotional learning programs. And I think that if we're going to deal with what's trending in society now and the new reality of childhood, adolescence, and a lifetime, mm. we have to face the fact that our old education model it just isn't sufficient. Right. We need to add to it in right. these ways. Beautiful. Beautiful. How many of you have kids in school? So maybe see if C-A-S-E-L can be... Uh promoted in your local school board. How about that? It takes... Right? You guys are influencers. Channels. Yeah. You guys are influencers. That's right. So if you have an access or an opportunity to influence, why don't you go take that step? And it becomes 500 pebbles on 500 ponds. And that all of a sudden becomes worth Dr. Goldman's time being here with us today. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Because tens of thousands of kids get an opportunity to go through and learn this type of wisdom, which Grandma had. Grandma knew it, but, you know, grandma's not around so much Amen. anymore. Amen. We need a grandma in every classroom. There we go. Yep. I want to switch gears with you. You are the most successful non-name dropper I've ever met, which gives me just a great sense of your own self and your own self-image, and it's just beautiful to be around, just so you oh, know. Thank you. But I'll name drop for you because I'm a salesman. <laughs> so <laughs> regular guest on the Brian Buffini Show. <laughs> So some of our audience may not know you're a board member of the Mind and Light Institute. And we were backstage looking at the Thai Life video, and you oh, yeah. love that. And it's sure. very, very close to home for you. And it's an organization that fosters dialogue between contemplatives and scientists. That's right. How does that... Talk about nitro and glycerin. <laughs> Oil and water, including the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. And I understand you wrote Force for Good for his 80th birthday. I did. I would love to write a book for someone like that for their 80th birthday, like, you know, like a list of where to refer me and things like that. Um, 
Give us some of the principles for a force for Well, so um, I was with the Dalai Lama not far from here, Del Mar, mm-hmm. just up the coast, down the coast. And, uh, and uh, I brought a friend of mine. Actually, I can name the guy. It was George Lucas, actually, who wanted to meet him. I brought him to have tea with the Dalai Lama. Hold on Lama. a second here. You know George Lucas? I told a story about George I Lucas. I remember you told a story, but now I realize you know George Lucas, and I know you. That means my stock just rose at home like 50%. Yeah. Yes! Dad is always looking for cool points. Thank you. So I bring George to have tea with the Dalai Lama. And wow. We spent about an hour, and the Dalai Lama talks to him about how to use film to send positive messages and so on. He didn't mention to us that that morning he'd gotten a call telling him he had won the Nobel Prize for Peace. He did not mention it. This is one reason I love the Dalai Lama. The, at the press conference the next day, he says, he's asked the first question, well, how does it feel to win the Nobel Peace Prize? He says, um, I feel happy. Then he pauses and says, for the people who wanted me to win this prize. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, he has a totally different algorithm for emotions and, you know, social things. So um, I'm an admirer of the Dalai Lama. I was asked to write this book. And... I point out to them, you know, I can write it, but I do need to talk to him. He's very hard to book these days because he's like a rock star. Globally. Oh, yeah. And they said, well, um, hmm. well you, can you come to Delhi in August for two hours with him? Oh, Delhi in August is like a really hot and dirty <laughs> sauna. You know, I said, oh, sure, I'll do it, you know, of course. Oh, yeah. And then it turned out to be, uh, it almost was June in Ireland, but it turned out to be July in Tuscany. Wow. So that was nice. So we spent time. And it turns out that Dalai Lama has a very specific program. First of all, he says, this is not a Buddhist thing. This is science-based. It's for everybody. I think people should, A, have emotional hygiene. That's what he calls emotional intelligence, getting your disruptive emotions under control, having good relationships. Number two, have an ethic or an orientation of caring and compassion. And then three, take it on the road. And this really surprised me. He is an activist when it comes to compassion. He's like the Pope. He says, first of all, we have to do something about the growing gap between rich and poor. One thing you can do is make sure your business is doing something for good, not just for profit. So he loved when I told him about the Greyston Bakery. If you've ever had Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge brownie, Uh the brownie comes from the Greyston Bakery. The Greyston Bakery was founded to employ homeless people, but it trains them as bakers. And they make brownies. They ship them up to Vermont. And their motto is, we don't hire people to bake brownies. We bake brownies to hire people. Wow. Isn't that something? Wow. And he loved that. He said that, you know, uh, however you do it, corporate social responsibility, whatever you do that is for the good, mm. above and beyond just helping yourself, mm-hmm. that's what he wants to encourage in business. And he says, you know, help the needy, but help them help themselves. We talked about cognitive control, the belly buddies, and people who are doing that for kids because that levels the playing field. And then he's really passionate about the environment. Mm. The fact that we live in what's called the Anthropocene age, which is the age where one species, us, is impacting the eight global systems that support life on the planet for the worst. I mean, why is it that we don't know the water footprint of the things we eat? Because our system isn't designed that way. Mm. But millennials and below, your kids, mm-hmm. your kids, my grandchildren, care passionately about this they because they know that the world they're going to grow up in is more and more degraded mm-hmm. environmentally. 
It's going to be harder and harder, which means that there's a great business opportunity here, sure. which is to do things in a way which help the earth rather than hurting sure. it. So he's passionate about that. He thinks long-term. He says it'd be great if we could have a world without war. I think it's a long-term goal, but still. It starts with teaching kids how to work out uh, disagreements. I'll tell you a story, a school that pioneered SEL in New Haven, a middle school. Three kids are walking to gym, and the first kid is pretty pudgy, not very athletic, and the other kid's behind him, two jocks. And uh, one of the jocks says to the pudgy kid, with a contempt, he says, oh, so you're going to try to play soccer? They're going to have a soccer game. And this pudgy kid stops, takes a deep breath, like to compose himself for this confrontation, turns around and says, yeah, I'm going to try to play soccer. I'm not very good at it. I'm very good at art. Show me anything I draw it really well. You, you're fantastic at soccer. Someday I'd like to be as good as you are. And at that, the first kid who just put him down comes over, puts his arm around him and says, oh, you're not so bad. Maybe I can show you a thing or two. Wow. <laughs> that is how you handle conflict. This wow. was taught to those kids. It's called a put-up. Kid puts you down, you say something paused about yourself, something paused about up. him. Put-up. Like right. a put-down, put-up. Yeah. Wow. And wow. it's teaching kids how to handle conflict and how to resolve disagreements. The giant market for this in Ireland. So, you know, <laughs> we're gifted at the put-downs. <laughs> One of uh, the Dalai Lama's best buddies is a guy named Moore who's from Northern Ireland. He was blinded by accident by the, a British rubber bullet mm. during the troubles in Northern yeah. Ireland. And he did not hold it against the soldier who fired the bullet. He mm. forgave him. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he, even though he's blind, he runs an organization that helps people. It's called uh, Children of Conflict, something like yeah. that, who were in the yes. same. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, the Dalai Lama loves him. He says he's yeah. my teacher in compassion. Sure. Yeah. So, I have a teacher in compassion here last night. We went and met with a client here whose yeah. son was murdered. Oh, murdered. dear. Oh, dear. And she talked about the forgiveness and complete goodness she has towards his murderer. Exactly. And how she's now starting an organization to give back. Wow. That and is help so others. Hard. Don't do something. In this very room. In this very room. So this is an example of what the Dalai Lama says is his bottom line, which is each of us is an influencer. Everyone has a sphere of influence. And he says, use it. Act now. Do whatever you can in whatever way you have passion for. Because we are all trim tabs. We can turn it around so the arc of history going into the future bends in a better direction. Mm. That's the bottom line. Well, here's a great example. We just need to know the law of the harvest. Some people call it karma, whatever. What goes around, all those kinds of, you reap yeah. what you... And we were talking right. backstage. You know, there's so many hundreds of examples of yeah. this. We were looking at the Thai Life video, which is this very inspiring video. Would you guys agree? And you said how much it always moves you and... You know. it, I didn't know you were going to see it. It is my favorite. My wife found it, showed it to me. I've seen it 20 times. I still cry that last little scene with yeah, the, girl. the girl. Oh, my God. Yeah. Grabs me. So tell them the story you were telling me about the, uh, the folks. I'll tell it. I'm good at this. Uh -huh. So <laughs> They called me the Dalai Brahma, by the way. Um, and humility is one of the strongest qualities. But you were saying how you wanted to do one like that for a more Western audience. And so you reached uh, For out the website, yeah. which is join a force for number four good. Join, join a force a for force good. Join a force for number four good. Yep. Join a force 
That's the website for the book. My wife realized, you know, people don't read that much anymore. You better go on the web. Yeah. So go ahead. Yes. No, so, it's great. I, that was, uh, I was so we wanted to set that up. If you don't mind, yeah, I'll just further the story. You can finish because you, you're very good at punchlines. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I don't know the punchline to this one. So, so we found a group that does very successful. They do ads in New York, mm-hmm. and we said, you know, we don't have any money, but we showed them that video, that Thai video, and they said. We said, would you make a video like this for the Dalai Lama's website for free? And they said yes, because they they had been having a conversation that, you know, we're making a lot of money, but it doesn't fit our sense of purpose. We'd like to be doing something for the good. And their typical videos of half a million dollars. They did a video that involved 75 people in four locations, and it would have cost off the shelf half a million dollars. You can see it at Joint Force for good. Right. So now comes the punchline. Well, the punchline is, back to the original thing, is this. They do the video out of that sense of purpose. They want to give back, do something to be a force for good. What happens to the video? They win a bunch of awards. That's right. And what happens to video ad agencies that win a bunch of awards? They get to charge more. <laughs> punchline, see? It's, oh, you're, you're right good here. at that. Stay yeah. right here. <laughs> theory, practice, theory, right here. Right, right. Okay. okay. Twins, Butch twins. And Separated right at here. birth. You got it. Yeah. But for business people, here's why that's important to this group, is these folks are in a highly competitive business, in a highly competitive world, and sometimes surrounded by people who do things that aren't to the highest ethics or aren't always in the customer's best interest. Some, not a lot, but some. And you'll sometimes see the not-so-altruistic person achieve. So you see that, then you have your own values and your own desires, and it's hard work to do this. And it just always, I think, is important to be reminded that the good guys can win. Good guys don't finish last. Doing the right things for the right reasons. Also, when you have an open hand, you don't do it, oh, I'm going to do this and do this because I know I'm going to get a good result. But you do this and you do this because you're a force for good. You want to do it the right way. That's right. But you trust and know that like there's a law of gravity, there's a law of the harvest, that you do the good things for the right reasons in the right way, you will get the good result. And is that what we all want to believe? And it's just great to be reminded of it. And it's just great to see it. And so there's these beautiful things all the way along. But here's this ad agency who are now obviously benefiting. Because every time we get these companies that come and bid on our work, the first thing they do is pop out the trophies. And the more trophies, the more price. And here's what it does, because it gives that sense of confidence. You're going, yeah, maybe I've got to do that. And so check out the video. What's the website? Aforceforgood.com. That's also closing the room. That's the other salesperson part. <laughs> I, can I hire you? Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm available. <laughs> That's it. Yes, I'm just not cheap. Um, this is what about your stuff. pro bono work? Pro bono. Do you want me to be a force for good? You give me something to sell, I'll sell it for you. God bless you. I will, I will. Because you are a force for good. Oh, that's kind. You are. Well, I think everyone in the room. You're a role model, and in just in who you are, and in your character, and in your presence, and uh, it's just beautiful to be around you. And I told you, I, I've done hundreds of pre-conference calls, and Derek Jones and I were on the call with you, and, and you were so generous, and so giving, and so into it. And I'm thinking, isn't this the guy that was with Oprah? Why is he so excited about talking to a bunch of realtors? <laughs> and this is the guy that's writing a book with the Dalai Lama, he's going to come speak to 500 people in Carlsbad. 
and it was like the only thing that was going on. And I got off the phone, and I was so... I got off the phone, and let me tell you this. I had this overwhelming feeling of how great this event was going to be because of the phone call I had with you. And that is the gift of practicing this presence. And that's the, the gift of emotional intelligence and the mm. gift that it gives. Mm. And, and one phone call with somebody a world away that we hadn't met yet inspired a guy who, for a living, tries to inspire and encourage others. And it's all those pebbles on all those ponds and all those different things. And yesterday we had the great gift. We had a little surprise. We had Mitch Album come oh, by yeah. and share his Tuesdays with Maury and the story. And at the end of all of Maury's lessons is that the only thing that matters in life is relationships. And if the only thing that matters in life is relationships, wouldn't it be good to learn how to be good at relationships? Because they're the greatest thing in the world, but they're also the most difficult things in the world. Is that true? You know, I used to say, real estate would be great if it wasn't for the people. You know? And so the work that you're doing and what started out as emotional intelligence and is now you know, grown into the areas of focus and in the school systems and with the force for good and all the work you're doing is so, so important. And when applied, it has a multiplication effect. And we're in the multiplication business. Yeah, and I'm grateful to you for it. I think this room is full of people who are forces for good. Yes, yes, yes they are. Daniel has agreed to have many excerpts of what we've done here as part of a thing I do called the Brian Buffini Show. And um, <laughs> on the Brian Buffini Show, for those who are listening, who, who are not in this room, I always finish with five rapid-fire questions. Okay. And I'm going to do that, sure. and we like to have a lot of fun with sure. this, okay? First, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Mm. The best was make the world a better place for my mom. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it true? It is. Isn't it true? Like, you, know, you met all these people in the Dalai Lama or whatever else, but at the end of the day, mom, mom was the deep and mom. Right? Yep. And Your mom, too, I think. Huh? Oh, no doubt. My yeah. mom was, you can do it, Briny. Yeah, there you, you go. You can do it, Briny, and yeah. send me the money. <laughs> Next. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Yeah, I'm not very athletic. Not I'd like very to be, athletic. Yeah, I'd like to be better yeah. at that. So what I do is I married an athlete. <laughs> Do you get bonus credit for well, that? Well, all my kids are athletic. Oh, I think I'm athletic. <laughs> so. What book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, that's an interesting question. What book? I liked a book called Be Here Now by a guy named Ram Dass back in the oh, 70s. Oh, boy. I haven't heard of that in a long it's time. It's an old, old one. Yeah. yeah. Be Here Now. Ram, R-A-M-D-A-S-S. Yeah. Yep. Very, very powerful. Very powerful. What's the movie you watch over and over and over again? You just showed it, that little video. Really? Yes. The Thai Life commercial. I love it. Wow. What's your favorite song or artist? Wow. Uh, you know, oddly enough, I like Neil Diamond, and I can't think of a single song of his. Sweet Caroline. Thank you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let me finish on this. I'll say this. I've had a chance to meet an awful lot of people. Father Thomas Keating. Oh, yeah. From Snowmass, Colorado. Oh, I know him. A pure contemplative. And I got a chance to spend a lot of time with him one-on-one. Oh. And he made me come away knowing and feeling that I wanted to become a better man and that there was hope to do it. My wife is in that category, and she hopes I do it. <laughs> and I will say you have made such a imp- profound impression oh. on me in such a short amount of time. Oh. 
and you make me want to be a better man. And you are a beautiful spirit, and you have done phenomenal work. And uh, you're just a, a character of such depth and tranquility that you have blessed me in the last couple of days in an immense way. And you've blessed me with, I know how much you've blessed these people. And I know how much they're going to go bless us. Brian, the same is true of you. I just want to point that out. Can we thank Daniel Goldman for being with us here? God bless you. Thank, thank you. you. Come on. Well, what a great time that was with Dr. Daniel Goldman. As you could tell, he made quite an impression on me and uh, continues to do so as I read his books and as we continue on our relationship and staying in touch with one another and doing some work together on uh, some leadership projects we're working on together. Fabulous stuff. And I hope this has been helpful for you. This is a guy who, whether he's hanging out with the Dalai Lama or George Lucas or Oprah Winfrey or little old Brian Buffini, here's what I want to say to you. The man is fully present. He's fully connected. He listens wonderfully and uh, really, really is a very, very powerful, powerful individual. A soft-spoken giant is how I would describe him. So hopefully this has been real helpful for you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you share it with your friends. Our goal is very simple, is to influence as many folks as we can positively out there in the marketplace to live the good life. And we hope that you share this with them. We hope you encourage your friends and family members to subscribe for free to The Brian Buffini Show. And keep sending your reviews. I enjoy reading them on iTunes. And if you want to catch up on any notes uh, from today's show, and I took a bunch of notes when we were doing this Q&A session, you go to brianbuffini.com, and many of the fabulous quotes and show notes from today's program will be there. So as I finish here today, as I always do, I want to leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.